Well, you have decided that you are going to put all your vacation days together. You are going to save your money and you are going to go on a big trip. So you say, you know, that big trip is going to be Europe. That's my goal. I want to go tour Europe. So you say, you know, I want to be a little bit more exotic, a little bit different. So I'm going to go to Rio de Janeiro. That's where I'm going to go. Some of you say, you know, I'm not that kind of crazy trip kind of person. Just give me a timeshare, give me a pool, whatever it might be, and that is good enough for my vacation. Well, you decide, if I want to do it right, I have to have an amazing tour guide. The tour guide has got to take me to the best places on my trip. So you're you decide to do the Europe trip, and you arrive, your first day is in Paris. And you've gotten your amazing tour guide, and the guide has taken you under the city of Paris. 200 miles of tunnels that were built in the 13th century by limestone miners. And then the guide tells you in 1780, there was this amazing storm in Paris, And all the cemeteries that were around, above ground, bodies just started washing through the streets. So what they did was, for 12 years, they collected all the bones in all the cemeteries in Paris. And they gathered and then put them in these tunnels underground. And here the tourist takes you through this labyrinth of bones upon bones, miles upon miles miles and says here is the city of paris built on the dead and then the guide points you to a sign that's in french but in english it reads this stop this is the empire of the dead well maybe you said oh, i don't want to go to europe i've decided to go to rio you know i i want to experience the beach, the food, the tropical life. And you get another tour guide to show you the great things of Rio. And this guide takes you to a favela, which we would call in English in America a slum. Houses stacked upon houses on the hillside. Extreme poverty, drug cartels, Murder. And the guide says, here is how 20% of the population of Rio lives. Take it in. This is the city. Well, the first two aren't going very well. So you decide to do the timeshare. Cancun, Florida, Vegas, Hawaii. And you've got another guide there. And that guide, he wakes you up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And he takes you to the clubs in Vegas or Cancun or Hawaii. He takes you to the clubs or the bars and he shows you what people look like at 5 a.m., at 6 a.m., maybe passed out. Maybe people taking the walks of shame because they're hooking up. Here is 
the city. Here is your vacation. Well, at this point in time, you might be perplexed about these vacation trips. What are you doing showing me this? I paid good money. I want to see what is worthwhile. I don't want to see this. I think that reaction is the same reaction that many people have to reading Ecclesiastes. See, we are going to get a tour. Not any tour. A tour of the landscape of life. Of all of life. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants to see this is what life is really like. And many of us, as we go through this book, are going to say, why are you showing me this? Many might say that to the tour guide. Why are you showing me this? I'm showing you this, the guide says, so that you will see what really matters. I would encourage us over these 13 weeks that you would go on this quest with this guide. This guide that's going to look at every aspect of life that you might see something that really matters. That you might not just say, why are you showing me this? But when it's all peeled back, you'll see what is truly significant. Ecclesiastes, here we go. I'm going to read just just verses 1 through 11 this morning. We'll get to the other ones later in the series. Follow along with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be. All are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
Well, when we move from letters, the epistles, to wisdom literature, we have to change our frame of reference. It kind of might be uh, an awkward turn, so I'm going to try to make sure we make the turn in a safe way. See, when we read letters or, or narrative in the Bible, social setting matters. Logical arguments matter. Specific ethical issues matter. It's kind of an engineering way of looking at things. What is the point? Get to it. Here is the logic. Deductive. But when we move to wisdom literature, here now we see poetry and prose, imagery, language that engages our senses. And instead of being deductive, it's inductive. It builds. We have to sit in it. You see, with wisdom literature, it shows us the world in all of its complexities and fallenness and tries to answer, how do we act in this place? What decisions do we make in this setting and in this situation? And we are going to go through this wisdom with an amazing guide. The king of wisdom, Koheleth, as it says in the Hebrew. Koheleth means someone that gathers or assembles. That's why we get the, word, the name of the book Ecclesiastes, which is an assembly. But most English translations translate Koheleth as preacher. Someone that speaks to the assembly. But this just isn't any preacher. This is the son of David, which is Solomon. He is the epitome of wisdom. He is the one that sought after God for wisdom. He is the one that has experienced so much. And he is going to be the one that takes us through this journey. So, the thing about this wisdom is it's a little different than other types of wisdom. This isn't G-rated. This isn't an edited version of life. This shows us all of what takes place in life. The good and the bad. This isn't Kira Knightley's Pride and Prejudice, right? This is the BBC version, right? This isn't a book that's written at happy hour or on Friday night, or on the weekends. This is a book that's written on Monday morning. Some might call it pessimistic. Some might just say, it's realism. <laughs> and it's unlike reading the Proverbs. See, when we read Proverbs, another wisdom book in the Bible, it shows us an equation. God's love plus wisdom equals the good life. But an Ecclesiastes equation looks a lot different. God's love plus wisdom equals you are still going to die. <laughs> and as we read through this and we sit in it, and maybe as you read through it, as we go through it, you're going to be asking the question, when is this going to get good? And you say, I just want to skip to the end. 
I just want to know the conclusion. Is it end well? Well, if you know a little bit about Ecclesiastes, you know that the ending brings so much meaning to all of what we read. And if you want to read ahead to the conclusion, go for it. It might give you a good lens to look through the whole book. But I think the real impact of the conclusion is when you journey through the whole book. And then it makes the conclusion just hit you. Here is this man, Koheleth, this one that has experienced so much, that wants to teach us all about life. He says, why make your own mistakes? Learn from me. What is the true meaning of life? Let's get in here, shall we? From the very beginning, we are rattled by this person in his quest for life. In the first verse he talks, he says the same word five times. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You will see that Ecclesiastes has these refrains and words that are used over and over again. This one, vanity, is used 32 times. It's only used three other times in all of the Old Testament. So this is a theme that he's going to hit us over the head with over and over. The word in Hebrew is is hevel. It means breath or vapor. It makes sense that you might interpret it as vanity. The idea of life being smoke or vapor or a breath, it is something elusive. Something you cannot grasp. It's something that comes and goes. The meaning of life is like a vapor, like a breath. This quest You try to find meaning and hope and all these things. You try to grab it and it just slips through your fingers. That is what it is, this hevel. It makes sense that the NIV uses the word meaningless. Some use the word futile. I probably like the word the best, enigma. Life is a mystery. It is puzzling. It is difficult to understand. All this searching is hard to grasp. Sometimes I think the word vanity the ESV uses um, probably brings up other connotations than just the idea of meaninglessness or futile. When you think of vanity, you might think of the mirror, your vanity. Or you might think an overestimization of oneself like the song, You're So Vain. The thing is, when we look at this word vanity, is it interpreting that view of vanity, that the idea of looking at yourself or looking in the mirror or thinking you are vain is futile. It's worthless. All that you've gained, all these things of who you are is futile. It's worthless. Again, back to this picture of the vanitas, the 16th and century, 17th century portraits. 
Here is a portrait of someone and all they've collected and all they've made. It is futile. It will go away. It will end in death as we see the skull. So as we go through this book, I really seriously want you to think, what would you put on your self-portrait table? What are you trying to find meaning in, purpose in? This is a great book for the discouraged. For those that say, I have a hard time trying to find meaning in life and purpose. What is my meaning? I don't know what I would put on my table. I don't have much to show in my life. This book of Ecclesiastes is for you. And it's good news. It's also good news for those of you that are striving. That have put so many things on your table. That just work and work to find meaning and purpose. Hours in the, in the job or time in the cabin or whatever it might be to build up your worth. This book might give you some perspective. And you see the author from the very beginning here ask the question to get us to think about all this collection we built on our table and our self-portrait, our vanitas. What does man gain, verse 3, by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. It's a question for us. And then he gives us some poetry to make us think about how much we have gained. And he shows first to us the imagery of nature. What does he say? He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The sun does all this work. It rises and it sets. The wind blows and blows, but it just keeps on going. It's not going to anywhere. It just keeps happening. All this work, but nothing is really going. Nothing is getting full. You see this image of the rivers flowing into lakes or to seas. You think about it, the Fox River, it's been flowing into Green Bay forever. Has the Green Bay ever overflowed over and kept on going more and more and more? No, it just stays. There might be periods, there might flood and things like that, but it's, it just keeps on getting water and it keeps on exiting. It just keeps on happening for years and years and centuries and millennia. The world stays on this same cycle, but we go. We come and we go. 
Maybe a better image than nature is the laundry. You do it over and over. It keeps on coming and coming and coming. Or the dishes, it keeps on coming and coming. Or the papers to file at work, they keep on coming and coming. Do you know what's really discouraging? When you have come and gone, there still will be laundry. When you have come and gone, there will still be dishes. When you have come and gone from your work, there will still be files and someone else will file them away. I love this little quote. I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. It is futile, I said. You can never. You lie, he cried and ran on and on. Verses 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Here is another refrain, like vanity we'll see over and over again. Thirty times this is used, this phrase, under the sun. Really believe what it's saying is, this is the natural world. This is all we see and sense. This is under the sun. We're not going to look at what is above the sun. We're not going to look at what is supernatural. We are just exploring what is under the sun, what we see and experience. In this book, there's no Abraham. There's no covenant language. There's no hesed or faithfulness of God. There's no Israelite history. It's just what we see and what we experience. And here he says, you see and you hear. You take it in. Your eyes hear and they see how much information you take in over and over again. But the truth is, your soul is never satisfied, is it? How many YouTube videos have you watched? How many movies have you downloaded? How many songs have you listened to on Spotify? We take it in information over and over and over again. But are we quenched? Are we satisfied? He says this, he says, Is there a thing which we have not seen, something new? I don't think he's saying that there is no such thing as new inventions. I think what he's saying is there's nothing discovered that has been able to satisfy the human condition. No new devices, no new trips, no new adventures. We strive and strive and it will not be filled. I think about what I put on my table. Probably a picture of our cabin. 
I love our cabin. I love summertime. For two weeks, I get to unplug, no cell phone reception, nothing up there, and I get to sit on a hammock and read and enjoy my kids. It's just, it's just relaxing to the soul. And I could easily use the examples. I sit on the beach and watch my girls build sandcastles. That, that's like Ecclesiastes, right? They build the castle one day and then the tide comes in and it's gone. Or the wind blows and it's gone. We've built hundreds of sandcastles and they're all gone. And I could use that example. That's how life is. But that really doesn't hit very close to home. <laughs> Might for my girls. But really what hit home was last summer a lady came. I was on the beach with my, my girls. She came and she talked to me. She said, you know what? I grew up in a family with girls like you. And we used to live in that cabin and come every summer. And we would build sandcastles and play on the beach. And she went and showed me this dock that they had built with rocks and wood that used to extend out like 50 to 100 feet and they'd have a boat that would come. And the, the dock is pretty much all dissolved. It's all gone. And I, I mean, I just dream. I'm just going to build a nice cabin. I'm going to spend here. I'm going to vacation here. I'm going to retire here. This is my hope. This is my dream, this cabin. And this lady makes me go, guess what? One day someone else will be here. One day someone else will play on this beach. One day someone else will use that cabin. All the things you build will come and they will go. We just, we just lose sight of this because all we see is what is in front of us. As soon as we don't even realize American history. You realize that the Cahokia people had 50,000 people living near St. Louis. That was the largest city. They had five-story buildings. Did you know that? That was the largest city in North America, but we just forgot about it when we came and settled. A people that have come and gone. How many of you know your parents' birthday? Raise your hand. Parents' birthday. Okay, yeah. How many of you know your grandparents' birthday? Raise your hand. How many of you know your great-grandparents' birthday? A hundred years from now, people might not even remember your name. You see, the writer is exposing something to us. He's demolishing so that he can then build up. This letter is for us that we think everything is under the sun. I guess I could use pejorative language for it. It's for the humanist, right? It's for the secularist, right? Come on. 
We all act like humanists. We all like, act like secularists. Thinking that what we experience and what we build in this earth and what we see and what we have is all that there is. All that there is is what is under the sun. And this is what Koheleth is going to do. You live under the sun? That's what you think is what matters? All that is here? Then let's play that game. I'll take you to experiences under the sun. To knowledge, to pleasure, to work, to family. I'll experience all those things and we'll talk about them. And I will say to them all, meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, enigma, enigma. You will not find purpose in these things. You will not find hope in these things. You will grab at the wind and it will slip through your fingers. So I encourage you, let's slip in those shoes. Let's experiment with Koheleth. Let's see how far the rabbit hole goes of life under the sun, knowledge and pleasure and work and what it will produce. <laughs> Could you imagine someone coming to you and saying, I am the greatest tour guide of this world. I have the best perspective of how to live this life. Of how to view the places you go. And you'd say, oh, show me, bro. Show me. And then he does some stuff. It's pretty legit. He heals people. He talks about things that are like, whoa. Whoa. And you say, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with you on this journey of meaning that you say you know. And then what does he do? He takes you to the slums. And he makes you hang around the poor and the weak and the sick. And then he takes you to the underbelly of society and he makes you hang around the tax collectors and the drunks and the prostitutes. Then to top it all off, he shows you death. He shows you his life upon a tree, dead upon the cross, and he says, you should follow me in this. And what do we say to this guy? What are you doing, man? What are you showing us? I don't want to go on this journey. I don't want to go on this trip. And he says, follow me. Let me show you where there is true meaning. Let me show you where there is life and where there is hope. Follow me. You think Koheleth? is the greatest man of wisdom? Drink in the greatest part of wisdom. 
Drink in wisdom itself. Christ. Are you going to follow him? Is that the path you're going to go on? If it is, it makes sense that you would stand and you would come forward and you would say, I need this to find meaning. But maybe you're living life under the sun. Maybe what's most important isn't what's on this table, but what's on your table. So I encourage you, if you are one that sees life in Christ, come forward and partake in him. But if you are not, don't feel forced to do this. This is not an Emmaus Road table, a Presbyterian table. This is a table for those that trust in him.